I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So I've been interviewing people. I've been trying to interview lots of different kinds of people. So I'm excited today to have Don Murin with us. So say hi, Don. Hi, everybody. Hi, Mark. How y'all doing? So let's start by telling them what you do. What, do, what is your title? So my title is Senior Art Director. Uh, I am on the Magic Creative team at Wizards of the Coast. Okay, so what I, I want to first start with how you got to where you were, and then we'll talk about what exactly it is you do. Um, so how, you actually have an interesting story. How did you get to Wizards of the Coast? Oh my goodness. I got to Wizards of the Coast because I uh, was working at TSR, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons in the 90s. And uh, it's no secret that the company was going bankrupt. Uh, and... Uh, Fortunately, we had a knight in shining armor uh, whose name is Peter Atkinson, who, yeah, who uh, bought TSR and moved us all out. Well, not everybody, but, you know, geez, about 60 of us. Yeah, I mean, so Peter, for those who don't know, Peter Atkinson, uh, one of the people who cre uh, created Wizards of the Coast uh, and the original CEO, um, was a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. Yeah. Uh, and right, he found out that basically the company that made Dragons was going under. And so he bought it. I mean, Wizards, he organized Wizards to buy it. So yeah. uh, that was 98, is that right? That was in 97. 97, okay. Um, yep. So uh, we brought out a bunch of people from TSR to come work at Wizards, and you were one of them. I was um, one of them. So I, you spent, I assume, numerous years working on Dungeons & Dragons. Um what got you from Dungeon Dragons to Magic? Wow, that was a, it was kind of a long, circuitous journey, I would say. Because uh, I worked on D&D for, oh my goodness, long time. Uh, you know, through 3rd edition, 3.5. And it was uh, right before 4th edition, I had the opportunity to work on, I don't know if you remember, Hecatomb. Hecatomb, yeah, I remember Hecatomb. So it's another game we made that had like see-through pieces there were was, hexagons yeah, there and yeah, five-sided, yeah, um, or five -sided, uh, plastic printed on plastic so yes. that yeah, <laughs> cards could stack on top of each other, and depending on how you stacked them, it revealed it, it made variable rules mechanics because yes, you could yes. stack the cards in different ways to change the mechanics. It was a very um, clever it, game. Uh, Mike Elliott designed it. It was a very clever game. It, it, I thought it was yeah. cool, um, but uh, it, very expensive. Plastic is you know made from oil, and oil prices were going up. Um, so yeah, so I worked on Hecatome and then, uh, after that I, uh, worked on, a, a couple Japanese brands that were released exclusively in Japan. Um, one was Charm Angel, which is a trading card game for girls that had collectible charm bracelets. Oh, I remember which, that. I remember that game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that was interesting. I learned a lot about, I mean, I, I had already known a lot about prints, but I learned a lot about manufacturing Yeah. because we were designing and manufacturing the charms. Um, and then, uh, interestingly, uh, it didn't do well. The, the girls liked the game. Um, but they didn't get the, they didn't understand the concept of repeat purchase model. Yeah. You know, they, they just bought the game and they played and they're like, why do I have to buy more? <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't do so well. Uh, Duel Masters, on the other hand, was the, was the same age group, you know, eight to 12 year olds. 
uh, but targeted towards boys instead of girls. No collectible charms, obviously. And Duel Masters is still very successful. But I worked on Duel Masters for about five years. Um, and uh, again, exclusively released in Japan. Um, and then one that summer, geez, I think it was about 2013, uh, Jeremy Jarvis, who uh, I had known for a long time, he actually worked for me as a freelance artist uh, for Dungeons and Dragons. He did a lot of work for me. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he knew already knew how I worked. He knew how I art directed. He knew how I interacted with artists. Um, and he was kind of slammed that summer, and he called me. When was uh, this? Was what, that, what, what summer was it? Like, what set was it? 2013. 2013, okay. I'm going to say 2013, yeah. I was out over in Wenatchee visiting some friends, and he called me and asked if I uh, – actually, prior to that, let me back up. Prior okay. to that, uh, he had asked me to help him commission some work. Um, because he was kind of slammed. And so the first thing I actually commissioned for Magic was the oversized cards for Plane Chase 2. Okay. And, and in hindsight now, as I look back on it, I have a feeling that that was kind of an audition. <laughs> because, because yeah, because like I said, he had already worked with me. So he, he knew, you know, how I, and, you know, knew how I worked as an art director. So I think that was kind of a little test because then in August... Um, he called me, that's, that's when I was in Wenatchee. He called me and said, Hey, do you want to, would you be interested in coming over to magic team? Okay. And I was like, Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> so what was it? So you, you worked on plane chase too. What was the first set that you did art direction for other, like other than plane chase too? Um, so, so then when I came over, I commissioned some pieces that were the tail end of Theros. Okay. The original Theros. Born of the Gods, tokens, yeah. um, uh, boy. And then what came after that? Was it, was it Zendikar? I, you know, things overlapped so much. Yeah. So, uh, um, th after Theros was Concertar here, after Theros block was Concertar yeah. here. So I, I was not... No, I was not, or was I? God, that was so long ago. <laughs> I don't recall being part of that concept push. Uh, mm -hmm. Kaladesh is, yeah, definitely, I remember being involved, you know, from from beginning to end, you know, was at that point. Um, so let, let's talk a little, I want to talk a little bit about what you do, because, I mean, uh, one of the things that, the reason I'm doing these interviews is I, so many people make magic, and there's so much work that goes into it, and I don't think the average person realizes all, like, how much, how much there is in all the different aspects. So I sure. want to really examine what you do. So let's talk about, you're an art director. What does that mean? What, what do what you actually do? Yeah. So, you know, uh, this is funny. I, I just did Donato, Donato Giancola's uh, smart school. I was his guest AD and this exact same question came up. Um, you know, art directors, you know, depending on what art directors can do a lot of different things, depending on the media, you know, if you're an art director for a magazine versus an art director for, uh, games versus an art director for movies. Um, you have different, you know, granular tasks, but your job in general is to manage the overall vision of the product and ensure that uh, it is on model to that vision that was created, you know, for what the world looks like. 
because, you know, we world build for a reason, right? And I want to stress, when you say vision, because I talk about vision all the time, you're talking mm-hmm. about a, a visual vision. What Correct. It, what it looks like. I, like I, I'm in charge of the mechanical vision, but that's a yeah. completely different thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so as a as an art director for games, what, one thing that's unique for me versus, you know, someone that works on magazines or, you know, for movies is my interaction with you. Right. Mm -hmm. To ensure that our vision, what we're doing visually, you know, syncs up with what you guys are doing mechanically. So Um, one of the things I'm hoping as we talk through this is uh, the one there's a project that you and I worked on together that that's been published, which was unstable. So I'd love to use some examples as we walk through this so that we can give the audience like tangible examples. Right. So, okay. Okay. So, Uh, so for example, okay. So uh, unstable. uh, The, the, uh, 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 stitch and augment cards. Yes, or host, ho- host and augment. Host and augment. <laughs> they, it, it changed names. Things. It changed names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the host so, augment card. Uh, so I come to you the... with host and augment. What What do you have to do? Right, right. So you, you know, design comes to us with a crazy idea. Like, hey, you know, what if we were able to put, you know, instead of just playing cards individually, you know, what if we could take. You know, what if we had cards that were like that game you had when it, when you were a kid where you can put different heads on different bodies of animals? You know, you turn the, the pages are sliced in the book and you can mix and match what creatures look like. You know, how can we do that on cards? And so then it's my job to work with, you know, graphic designers to uh, figure out how can we visually satisfy that type of game mechanic. Um, and you know, which was super challenging, I can tell you, because uh, you know, with so many different artists working on so many different pieces, to make sure that you know every head actually fits on every body proportionately, we had to come up with that little gasket. Right, right. So, the, so if you look at at host and augments uh, on on the on the left side of host and the right side of of, um, of augments. Uh, there's this little gasket that we put, um, Correct. so that, that what would help, and that was something that you came up with. That was something that you you guys just. I mean, when I say you, I mean yeah. the art team came up with yeah, as yeah, yeah. as a tool to say to the artists, the the creature has to fit this size so that everything linked together. Right. So that the head of a hummingbird could plausibly fit on the body of a camel or whatever dinosaur. <laughs> Dino, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. So yeah. So that it could plausibly. So that so that every artist was working towards the same template. And then because we have a lot of flexibility with silver bordered sets um, to get hand wavy about scale. Yes, the scale is ridiculous. You know, obviously (laughs) you can't fit the head of a hummingbird, you know, on the on the body of a dinosaur. But come on, you know, it's a game. It's fun. Yeah. Get over it. But but the idea is just to sort of talk in big picture. Um, I the the game designer, and, and it's not always me, but whoever the game designer is has to come to the art director and says, "Here's what we want to do." And also, it, it goes both ways. Sometimes the art team might say, "Here's something important to us," and then we have to mechanically figure out. For a good example for that, this wasn't a set you did, but like in Zendikar. Um, it was the creative team that really came up with Adventure World, and then we ended up coming up with um, elements that match in Adventure World. So the, yeah. it's give and take. It, it's not like one way. It's not just us yeah. 
telling you guys. It's back and forth, meaning you're trying to make the most beautiful world you can, most cohesive, beautiful world you can. We're trying to make a fun set, and there's a lot of back and forth. Yes, it is. It's a collaboration. It is a big collaboration. And as an art director working with artists, you know, again, it is at least this is the way I work. You know, I, I view working with my artists as collaborations. You know, I'm, I'm hiring them for their expertise uh, to problem solve for us. You know, we've got this concept that needs to be expressed visually, you know, in a space that's, you know, two by three inches, um, you know, and so uh, we have concepts for them, but for me, it's a collaboration because, you know, to let them problem solve and help us, uh, you know, envision something that we hadn't even thought of, you know, that's even better than what we thought, right? Well, let, um, let, can I, let, I'm going to explain, I want you to explain something because yeah, there's some stuff that you just assumed that I want to make sure the audience understands. When you sure. say you're artists, who are your artists? Who, who are, who is that? Oh my goodness. Uh, freelance artists all over the world. We work with people all over the world. Um, I mean, you, you know, you could go to our the Magic website and pull up the art gallery and, and just look at all the beautiful artwork and all the different artists that we work with. But, you know, we do have a few artists on staff, concept artists, but, um, you know, the 99.9999999999% of the artwork is uh, commissioned by people who are, you know, freelance, freelancers. And how many artists are you interacting? Just I want to give people some sense of scope. How many oh artists are you interacting with at any one time? Uh, well, right now I'm work interacting with sixty. Right, so that's a lot. I mean, you're just constantly interacting with artists. Constantly, and I'll tell you what, it's a small art wave too. So it's <laughs> you know I've worked with as many as a hundred or more at any given time. It's yeah, it's a little insane. And, <laughs> and so your your job is. To make sure that the you're giving the artists all the information that you need so that you can get what you want from them. Correct. Correct. And, you know, and I, I'm also giving the artists everything they need to set them up for success, right? Because, you know, we if we want them to deliver within the parameters of, uh, you know, X, whatever that means, then, you know, it's the art director's job to help them achieve that, you know, to guide them in that direction and, you know, kind of, you know, corral them into these parameters just to, you know, we don't want everything to look the same, but, you know, everything should at least feel cohesive in, in, in world to the world building. And part of doing that, part of having a cohesiveness is we provide the artist with a, a guide, right? You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yep. Uh, a world guide. Um, before cards get commissioned, you know, months before cards even get commissioned, uh, we have what's called a concept push. And we uh, bring in some, you know, like I said, we have a staff of well-rounded concept artists, um, you know, working full time. But then we bring in people with uh, who, who we call specialists. You know, and we try to uh, make a very well-rounded team, somebody who specializes in environments, somebody who is great with costumes, somebody who's great with creature design, somebody who's great with creating, you know, uh, putting a visual stamp on, you know, different factions like in Theros, you know, to make, you know, Miletus versus Akros versus, right, Satessa. Um, and, and also remember, um, we're always building a magic world because we have to make we have to make the game out of it. So that means 
all the colors have to be represented, all the size creatures have to be represented, that there's a lot of work to, to tell, you're not just making any world, you're making a world we can make a game of magic out of. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, there's mechanical things to keep in mind, you know, and we have this big wall and all all the artwork goes up so we can kind of see the gestalt of of all the pieces and then see where there's holes, like, uh uh-oh, we somehow managed to overlook concepting any flyers for blue don't better get on that right um and you know and that is a very kind of fast-paced intense three weeks <coughs> excuse me and then uh after which uh then those concepts are then refined further refined you know as we tighten and tighten that focus you know working with you know the design team again to make sure that we're hitting everything that they need <clears throat> and then uh and then all that work is collected into a you know very large document uh that goes how, how large like, this is, like how many pages i want people to understand how big how many pages you uh, so you know it depends uh unstable was relatively small um com- comparatively because uh, that was maybe what 100 pages uh, maybe less. I think it was like 80 pages. Right, and that's small. It's not, like a normal one is way more than that. That, that, that right. was a and small then, one. But, you know, and then, and then at the, the other extreme is when we went back to Ravnica. Yeah. Because we had been back to, this was our, what, third time third back time to Ravnica? Back. Third time back. And every time we tried to add a little more, a little more, you know, the, in, in War of the Spark, oh my goodness, that world guide is a monster. It is <laughs> over 300 pages. Yeah. And then, you know, something like Theros is, less but we went back to it once so we we added to it you know versus a new world yeah it it depends but uh but but i just want the audience to understand like even the small ones are 80 to 100 pages and the large ones are over 300 pages that we're giving the artists a lot of visual references so that they're building in the world right we have all these artists we want them to make all the art has to feel like it's from the same place yes exactly because you know if if the if the art you know just was just generic all the time you know every set after a certain time you know i think people might you know would get a little bored you know so our goal at least on the on the on the uh creative team side is to i mean and you guys too you know you guys are always striving to give you know the players new mechanics you know that they haven't seen before to you know surprise and delight them you know we are doing that visually as well you know that's why you know we want theros to look like theros and we don't want it to look like ravnica and we don't want it to look like uh tarkir or kaladesh you know so that every time you we get a new you get a new release you get wow something you haven't seen before so let's talk a little bit. I'm, I'm just going to use Unstable because that's the thing you and I worked on. Um, so when I handed off Unstable to you, it was a faction set, right? Uh, there were five factions built into it. Um, yep. Which meant that what you on the visual side, it's like, okay, well, you had to take each of these factions and they had to have a look and a feel. And, you know, um, do you want to talk a little bit about, about how you did something like that? Oh, God. I, you know, Mark, it's so... <laughs> it's probably different for everyone. For me, for me personally, it is... Well, it is, in general, it is very organic. 
Mm-hmm. It is an extremely organic experience. You know, you may, at least for me, you know, I, I rely on my team. You know, I try to build a good, solid team of people, you know, to challenge my expectations, to, uh, you know, like I said, you know, deliver on what's in my head and, and make it even better than I could have possibly imagined. Um, and so it's, it's very collaborative. It's very organic. Um, you know, uh, well, like, um, for example, and, and nothing to change, you know, I, I, oftentimes I go in with, you know, like, I, I think I want, so, okay, for instance, unstable, Yeah. you know, in my head, initially, I was thinking something kind of a, a mix between Dr. Seuss and, uh, 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 oh, Christ, uh, Ah, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, okay, so cross between Dr. Seuss and Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, who's the director, though? Uh, uh, Tim Burton is Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton, yeah. yes. In my head, visually, I was thinking, you know, something between Tim Burton and Dr. Seuss, you know, and you can see how it evolved from that. I mean, it still has that whimsy, for sure, but it developed into so much more than that. It really did. So, um, uh, here's a, a great... Was mecha- and a lot of it was driven by the mechanics. Yeah, so here's a really good example. So, when I t- turned it over, uh, one of the factions, when I turned it over, was... Um, I was making fun of the fact that we make a lot of humanoid animals. And mm-hmm. I thought it was fun of a race where we just mix and match animals. And I really... I gave you a very just weird concept. Sure. Uh, and then your yeah. team just... Went to town and just made amazing things with it. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting. That's that's a good example too, because uh, you know the um, the crossbreed labs. You know, because we're mixing and matching animals. You know, we were very conscientious of not not messaging anything that came was even remotely close to animal cruelty. Right? You know, we did not want these to be like you know horrible lab animal experiments, you know, like it wasn't Dr. Know, Moreau or anything, right? Yeah. And yeah. get PETA mad at us, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I was super, there's very few things that I'm real adamant on, but I was really adamant about that and that we ensure that anytime an animal looks like they are being modified or whatever, it's because it is their willful intent why you know the squirrel wants to have gorilla arms because <laughs> yes. gorilla arms are just better <laughs> not because there's some <laughs> evil scientist who's you know frankensteining these poor animals together you know they all of them are willing participants they want to be modified because hey now i can run faster now i can lift heavier things now i can now i can yeah and it was, it was neat cuz i mean the key to a faction set from an artistic standpoint is that there's a lot of work that goes to make sure that each faction looks unique. That if, the, yeah. if, if a player sees a card in a vacuum, they know what faction it is. You, the, the factions are made to be very distinct from one another. Yep. And we kind of had that same philosophy for the steam boards as well, which was the blue-white. You know, they were also a very kind of modifiable uh, culture. But um, again, you know, it was all... They were all willing participants. Why do I want a screwdriver for a hand? Well, it just makes it easier for me to screw things. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing... Example. The, so, I mean, that's a good example of just the, the nature of what you guys are doing is... I mean, on our end, we said, okay, here's a faction. And we mechanically... 
Like each of the factions mechanically are different, but we came to you and then you you bring visual life to what that is. Because yep. I mean like, yeah, we gave you these are artifact creatures that modified themselves. Um or like for example, uh, we gave you spies. We said, "Okay, these are spies." And you guys, Agent of Sneak, you guys, once again, you just went to town oh, having man. lots of fun. Yeah, I give all props to, uh, a lot of props to Ralph Horsley, um, because as I looked through that Unstable World Guide again, so, oh my goodness, he has so many iterations, just fun iterations of that sort of Inspector Gadget kind of um, vibe that we were going for of, of augmentation, you know, for their particular faction. Yeah. Um, yeah, super fun. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed is every faction just had their own you know, joyfulness to it, and whatever... Because yeah. well, one of the things we're trying to do on our end is make the audience fall in love with something, and the way you do that is commit. Do something where you're really having... We're having fun with it so that they can have fun with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Now, here's another aspect I want to talk about. Uh, so, sometimes uh, really interesting things can happen... Uh, and I'm going to use contraptions as my example here, where um, the art side comes up with a really cool idea that then causes us us to adapt to it. So let's talk about contraptions, because this was, a, to me, a very neat story and shows a lot about what art direction can do. So t talk about contraptions. Uh, okay, so I... Actually, the, the, the contraption thing came from... Uh, Came from the, uh, well, at, what at the time, what I guess would have been the product architect. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there, there was this desire to have, oh my goodness, I wish I had my binder with me. Um, we're working from home now, so all my office stuff is back in the office, um, just to refresh my memory on this. But they, there was, there, there was the desire to do the, to do alternate artwork um, and then there was this desire to like, if we put all these, you know, could we have individual pieces that kind of puzzled together to make one large piece? And I had, I had already done that for Duel Masters because Duel Masters does that all the time. They print two cards that when you put them side by side, make a larger piece of art and Duel Masters has done five cards side by side and they have done nine cards nine up like we did for the contraptions. So I, you know, fortunately I was like, yeah, I know how to do this. We can do this. We've done it for Duel Masters. It's what, what's going to be harder is for the artists, you know, for them to think about the gestalt of one large piece, right? That's nine cards that when you put puzzled them all together makes one large image and that each of those nine sections crops, like if we divide it equally into nine pieces, Everything in those nine pieces falls where it needs to on that individual card. And that what, makes sense. And so what happened is, for example, is when we made uh, contraptions, originally there were ten of each faction, and then you guys came to us with the idea of the three-by-three three grid, and we changed it to nine so that we could make the three-by... The, three like the, the idea of the grid was so awesome, oh, oh, we changed right. it. I forgot about that. Yeah, yep, so we, yep, yep. we changed it because th that was such a cool idea that we, we adapted so we could match that. Wow, I, I had completely forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and then one, of the things that I, one of the things I think is important for people to understand is um, there's a lot of give and take between... The, the creative side of things and mechanical side of things and that um, 
both sides are constantly trying to just come up with as many good ideas as they can. And when they do, they go to the other side and say, hey, here's this cool idea. Can we do this? So yeah. like in, in Unstable, we came to you and said, can you make host augment work? And you guys figured out how to do that. And in Contraptions, you came to us and said, we have this great layout. Can you mechanically match that? So we, we, we did. And that, that, I just want people to understand the, the give and take that goes on. Cause that's an yeah, important yeah, part yeah. of the process. Yep. It is. It is. And again, it's a collaboration. You know, we're we're all on the same team trying to make awesome games. So we we have a few minutes. I'm, I'm almost to my uh, den. Uh, we have a few minutes left. Is there anything else about art designing magic that you think is any, you know, the people you'd like people to know? Any other sort of facets to it that are interesting? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I guess... We always have reasons for doing what we do. You may not agree with them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there might be fans out there that don't agree with it, but I I will say that nothing we do is ever just willy-nilly haphazard. There's always reasons. You know, and even internally, we might not agree, but, you know, there's always reasons. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of the things that... that I don't know if people, I mean, maybe people who listen to my podcast, maybe they've, they've figured this out by now, but we spend hours and hours and hours on every decision. Like nothing, nothing is just done randomly, you no, know. No, no. Um, and there are things that are absolutely out of our control. You know, management makes decisions about things and yeah. we just have to say, okay. So, Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, I, I want to thank you, Dawn. I, I'm uh, I'm pulling up to my den, as they say. Um, <laughs> but I thank you for sharing. I mean, I I I find the the art side of things really interesting. I mean, as someone, I mean, part of my job is working with you guys to make sure that we're making cool worlds. And I every I love the art wall. I, I love watching art when it comes in. Oh, the one thing I forgot to ask, real quickly, when an artist does a piece of art, how long normally do they have to do that piece of art? Oh, um, about six weeks. And so the process is at some point they send in a sketch, right? Correct. And then the idea is the reason they do a sketch is just, hey, let's just double check that what you think you're doing and is, you know, what we want. And it's a little way oh for the yeah. artist to give some, I mean, for you, to, our art director, to give some feedback and, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because they're, you know, not only are we checking to make sure that the content is in worlds, we're also checking to make sure that it's, hitting any specifics that uh, are required mechanically, like if it has flying, does the thing have wings? Or can it, you know, does it plausibly look like it's flying? Um, We're also checking things like, you know, we're doing a lot of things with different card frames these days. And so, you know, it's not just that perfect little postage stamp size anymore. So we'll take those sketches and we'll plop them into, you know, like a, a, a booster fund frame or, you know, something new that we're doing to make sure that it's properly fitting, right? That mm-hmm. you can see the important thing in the art box that it's not getting covered by the rules text or, or whatever. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, you know... <laughs> That intermediary stage is hypercritical for people that work traditionally because, you know, if someone were to just turn in a final and then it's like all wrong, you know, if, if, if it's easier to salvage if it's digital than if it's traditional. Yeah. 
It, and there can be multiple rounds of sketch review too. Yeah. But at minimum, we do require at least one. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, we have to wrap up here because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting to work. Um, but I want to thank you so much, Dawn, for joining us. I, 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 I love letting people see other facets. And um, it, it's always fun to work with you. And so, like, you and I had a blast on Unstable. Um, but anyway, I have to wrap this up because uh, I'm at my den. So we all know well, what that means. Mark, I appreciate you asking me. This was fun. Um, so I'm at my desk. So we all know what that means. It uh, means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking about magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you so much, Dawn, for joining us. Thank you for asking me. Uh, and uh, everybody, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.